This is Gemma, and this is Money Can't Buy You Class, a podcast about reality television through a critical lens. Um, We've had some really, really incredible guests, uh, Nomi Fry and Molly Lambert, in the past few weeks. And uh, this week is not an exception. We have uh, the two really brilliant, really interesting hosts of uh, the podcast, Decode, Um, on today. Decode is a really fascinating podcast um, about philosophy uh, hosted by Twitter's Young Agamben and Cute Numina. Um, I'm very happy to say that Young Agamben is my is my partner in life and the co-parent of my cute little dog. And I've had the privilege and honor to have uh, bought Cute Numina a Manhattan the one time that he was in Chicago. So welcome, welcome to the podcast. It's a friends and family episode. It's the friends and family app. And I feel like because I love both of you so much, you guys are going to be a little bit better at introducing yourselves. So Welcome to the pod. Who are you? <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. So uh, thanks. I really appreciate you guys having me on, you know, young, um, you know, we also, we also big fans of the podcast. I think you guys do some really awesome stuff with, you know, the intersection between theory and obviously reality TV. So I think that's definitely awesome. Uh, a lot of intersect obviously in our circles. Um, and then just in regards to that Manhattan, definitely scandalous. Uh, <laughs> <to go to laughs> And order a drink like that but um yeah really happy to be on um obviously you can find me on twitter and on other media uh, social medias but um yeah we can definitely talk more about those details yeah definitely yeah thanks for having us on um i know yeah i may be a little bit biased but yeah we absolutely love the podcast and as you kind of mentioned the past you know several episodes have been historic you know in in your your podcast history so if uh, any of our fans are listening to this and they haven't listened to uh money can't buy you class yet those those uh episodes with naomi fry and molly lambert are an amazing place to start but obviously any episode is great but we're just really excited to be here and uh for me, it's being back on. I I was on it once. Uh, you were on in the early days. Yeah, yeah like you were. You had to explain about uh, the Erica re- James trial about the and the last episode, the last like the season of the Kardashians pre the Kardashians. Yeah. We talked about the last season of Keeping yeah. Up with the Kardashians, that right. of course preceded yeah. Hulu's The Kardashians. Um, that was a that was a fun that was a fun episode. Yeah. Yeah. But today, today we're not going to talk about the Kardashians, but we're going to talk about what everyone has been talking about. We're going to talk about the rehearsal. Uh, Nathan Fielder's The Rehearsal. It is, uh, you know, I think that a lot of what we're going to talk about today is the fact that, like, 
yes, it's an HBO show, um, but it's also kind of a reality show. Um, I don't know. It's like, it's something that's kind of like in between comedy and reality and drama. Uh, we don't really know what it is, but I think that today we're kind of, kind of trying to figure out what it is. Um, and the reason that I guess I kind of wanted to have Decode on is because Cute wrote this like really brilliant Substack essay about the rehearsal, um, right? And you were kind of talking about, you know, it's interesting because I was like, you know, I follow you on Twitter um, and I was kind of going through my feed and I saw that you were talking about the rehearsal. So I read your essay and like, you know, I've talked to you before and I feel like you're not necessarily someone who watches a lot of reality television. So I was really surprised to see you refer to the rehearsal as a type of reality television and then to also go beyond the maybe the easy understanding of it as like oh it's just a simulation oh like we can like apply Baudrillard oh we can apply like Synecdoche New York even though those are like really fascinating things I was really intrigued by your idea that you outlined in your essay that it's like a like a play on sincerity and a play on what's actually real you know on like what's actually human and real so I guess like I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about like your your essay about the rehearsal and like how you understand like like what it is. Do you know what I mean? Like I'd love to hear what what you what you think it is and how it like affects you. Yeah. Um, so in terms of the show itself, like I mentioned the, the Substack piece, um, yeah, it really I, I my first reading of it, and that's mostly because of like how it's kind of advertised. Um, my friend actually shout out to fermented carrot, <laughs> uh, on Twitter. Um, she pointed it to me and she was like, have you checked out Nathan Fielder's new show? Um, I'm a big fan of Nathan for you. Uh, I thought that was another, you know, brilliant, um, you know, that one was definitely more on the comedy side. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just wanted to see what he, he was, uh, you know, coming with, coming into this, especially given that it was like, um, you know, HBO, probably a bigger budget. Let's see what, he, what, what kicks he gets out of this. And it really didn't disappoint. And, you know, it's kind of weird to kind of say that it's like reality TV because there's a lot of elements in it in terms of like, for example, continuity. So there's like an underpinning like narrative structure um, underneath the show. And so it has a lot of elements, like you mentioned, it's like a drama, equal parts reality TV. Um, so it's amorphous in the that way um and I, and I think I used or I uh, yeah I used the term it's kind of like this, this postmodern show because um you know th- that tends to go in line with the current of like metamodernism um to kind of move away from Luke Turner's cringy <laughs> uh, use of that term but um the way that I see it is just that it it doesn't it's not afraid to use like postmodern cynicism in terms of like the medium, how it presents itself, but it, you arrive kind of like full circle and like this like post sincere, um, like I call it like a body, like a true body of ethics, for example, um, because there was a lot of times where I caught myself in the show, the experiences that people were having in that show and genuinely being like, like, you know, uh, there's like the first episode where that guy is coming out with like a big secret and it really did help him. It, it helped him move forward with something in his life that, you know, was kind of uh, bugging him down. And you could 
you know, the, the easy route would be to say, oh, well, it's all scripted, it's all acted. And maybe that's that's true. Maybe a lot, a, lot, a large portion of that was definitely under, um, you know, the commentary of the show is that he has everything scripted and that he's, you know, it's in the name of the show, the rehearsal, you're rehearsing uh, something to a large extent. Um, but at the end of the day, like the feelings, the affects themselves, they're still real. Like it still makes you feel something. And I feel like the people in the show themselves also kind of walked away with a like new perspective or like, you know, something as simple as having a conversation with one of your friends and revealing a secret. But at the end of the day, like those types of interactions are genuine interactions. We have, we have those exact same interactions with our friends, with our colleagues. Yeah. No, yeah, it's, definitely. A really weird, it's a really weird show. Um, right. And I think like, yeah. I think that like, first of all, so a lot of people, a lot of, so this show has gotten a lot of critical acclaim. And I think that we had an, we had an episode a few months ago about Julia Fox and Kanye West. And I think that a lot of the focus of that episode was about how you know Julia Fox and Kanye West started dating and all of a sudden there were like 15 articles from everything from the New York Post to the New Yorker talking about this relationship. And I think that with the rehearsal, that's something that I found equally impressive and interesting about how, you know, there's this show about this like weird guy who's like this weird comedian uh, who also has an interest in like this ethno-sociological understanding of, um, of comedy. You know, he's kind of coming to comedy from a sociological intellectual perspective. And like performance, not to super, but comedy and performance, right? I think is big. No, exactly. And I think that that's a really impressive part of it as well. But there there have been like so many different camps talking about the show. And I think one of them has also been like, like I saw this Vox article that was like 10 movies you should watch if you were really into the rehearsal, Hmm. right? And I think, I I don't know, there's, there's just something so, there's something really fascinating to me about that is when like there's, there's something that happens in pop culture that both high and lowbrow media outlets latch onto. So, but, but Jem, I'm also really interested in like what you have to say about like performance, like, because you definitely just, I, I don't know, like, what do you, what do you have to say about like what it is? Cause I think that that's my big question. I'm like, what the fuck is it? I have no idea what it is. How do you, how do you classify it? Well, yeah, I don't, I think that's like, I think anything that defies classification is sort of, um, what people like to talk about. I think similarly, Julia Fox and Kanye West sort of defy the classification. It's like a little bit of a blend of like high and low or like things you didn't expect to know each other. And there's always this kind of like satisfaction when things that you've known about from one part of your life or from a certain internet group or from certain kind of publicity meet this other thing. And I think with the rehearsal, I think that it's, it's interesting to people because it's, it does blend genres, but I think more so than that, it is um, a show that feels like in itself sort of controversial without really like making it very clear 
that they are aware that Nathan Fielder is aware. I mean, I feel like he makes it aware that he's making a controversy, that he's doing something controversial, but it's never really super baked into the format of the show. And it lets people talk about it. And I think that it's, I think that it's creating a lot of buzz because I think like we are in a moment that is not very comfortable, like culturally does not, especially in pop culture, it's not very comfortable with controversy. Right. And I think like him kind of pulling out these sort of like really controversial moments that like cute, you were saying that are very, they are very average moment, like in a way that, you know, I think Nathan Fielder, I mean, obviously he loves the average. He loves the mm-hmm. daily sort of like weirdness of life. And I think that he's just kind of taking that to the next level. Um, I don't know if that totally like, yeah, I don't really know what it is. I think it's like a Nathan Fielder production. Um, but I mean, uh, Young, what do you, what's your, what's your impression of it? You know, after watching this season? Yeah, I, I love it. It's I'm a huge Nathan Fielder fan generally, and uh, my favorite Nathan Fielder was is still like the first time I saw him. Which, um, if you've ever seen, he was on the the CBC show. Uh, this hour has 22 minutes. It's like a Canadian mm-hmm. comedy show, and uh, it's it, the show itself is is like a fake TV show, uh, or like sorry, a, a fake TV news show mm. uh, cast like almost in that. It's like the Tonight Show. It's like the Canadian version of the Tonight Show. Mm -hmm. Or like SNL, a little hybrid of that. And and he was a field reporter and he would just kind of like do almost what he does in Nathan for You, where he kind of pranks people as he goes out to ask them questions. It's very funny. Um, But the show itself, I think, is is really profound in in many ways and is touching a chord. Um, And obviously, like, at decode we were like you know critical theory based and critical theory nerds so that's a lot of our perspective just like yours in in reality tv and for me i think the show touches on some deep philosophical questions um that are really interesting um and i know uh you brought up in the beginning that like you know you can easily go to to Baudrillard, and i think that's true um i mean just just because of uh just uh the triteness of like the philosopher due to the frequency of his reference uh, i think kind of hides the uh, depth of the study in many ways and i, I think uh, bojard simulations and simu- simulation and simulacra uh are both like some of the most profound texts of critical theory or just you know of the 20th century um and I really think Nathan for you touches on something that Baudrillard predicts, which is the breakdown of the image, um, obviously through the four steps into pure simulation. And and I think uh, what's interesting is the first step is obviously uh, some representation of a basic reality. Then the second is some sort of uh, farce or mask of that reality. So referencing the basic reality, but making some sort of like joke or some sort of like side reference to it. The third step is referencing some sort of absence of that reality. Um, And then the fourth is um, in which the image escapes reference to a basic reality and becomes a reality in and of itself. And I, I think what's interesting about Nathan Fielder is that a lot of his comedy is in that sort of like third level of image breakdown where he's talking about this absence of like signs and absence of like um, social norms 
when he acts in this way that like he's just defying any like way a person is supposed to predict a person to act socially you know like the social uh uh behavior of of like the nathan fielder character on the shows is meant to break down the social understanding of the people around him in in a sort of like curveball way in which every social interaction is like a meta awareness of social interaction in which he's forcing it and in that way it's it's the third level of simulation the third level of image breakdown in which he's breaking down a reality in to show that there's an absence of any basic reality or basic understanding Mm -hmm. but what's interesting in the rehearsal is that there's this movement into for me and like what's what I I think is what is so empathetic about the show is that it's showing almost a movement to complete breakdown of the image into simulation or reality in which there's a new reality which breaks you know which which uh creates itself through the show and I think for Nathan he's trying to say that and I think he's questioning them that himself, if this reality is true, you know, if he's really in this reality that he's created for himself. But I think it really shows through in that uh, episode about uh, the child who doesn't have yeah. a father. Yeah. And that really exactly. shows which the simulation of the father takes the place in that child's real life of a father, you know, yeah. and you know, Nathan has to become absent again, as he, as he does in most of his comedy, he has to leave. Mm. there's some sort of real reality, this new reality for this child based on what the show was that is like a residual that to me succeeds in getting to the full breakdown of what an image is. So the show itself becomes reality by creating, you know, in these people's lives, something that's lasting and something that in their lives is real in their social lives. These aren't like characters, these aren't, uh, actors. These are like mostly real people, even though some actors are involved. No, but it's also funny. I think that's something interesting about the show is that kind of at the end of the day, it's a show about actors, right? Yeah, I was thinking that too. Because the show is like supposedly about, you know, rehearsing. It's about real people rehearsing for like real things that will happen in the future. But the majority of the people in the show are actors. But it's not rehearsed. It's a rehearsal. It's not rehearsed. Well, what's interesting. So like, yeah, like what you were saying, um, Young, is like this kind of sort of. I think the show's format of starting the first episode in a way that probably felt sort of comfortable to like Nathan Fielder fans, you know, you like you feel like you kind of know what the setup it looks like, you know, the kind of prankster kind of ness of him. And I feel like the fact that it started there and moved to the end episode that was like so so real and like painful and like that 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 move felt very um intentional and very successful and i agree that it i think it i think the end reality helped solidify the beginning reality of that man's journey like i feel like the first and last episode were both felt very present in real life in some way they felt very um like the feelings that it evoked in me were feelings that I it was very real human emotion of like pity and embarrassment and I think that that uh is very important to the structure of the show 
Um, I was just going to kind of add and just touch up on a lot of points that you guys brought up, which is just that I think like, you, okay, for example, we brought up the, you know, the notion of acting, um, the rehearsal. Um, it really blurs the line about what, like, what the definition of an actor even is, right? Mm -hmm. So, for example, there's, you know, just a base actor, someone who's like an extra in the show. But then there's also like Nathan, who's kind of in a meta way being playing himself yes and then playing himself within the show right. but he's also playing like you know the persona nathan you know nathan fielder um and then on top of that layer it, it even asks it kind of points the mirror back at us and says like for example in situations or circumstances that you found yourself you know you know like the guy that was lying about having a postgraduate degree um you know how much of an actor are you like how much of a facade are you placing in your own life um, so it kind of blurs that line about like, you know, even like the layers within our own reality as, as young, you were, you were mentioning, uh, Baudrillard, you know, like different stages of the simulacrum, um, you know, how detached are we from base reality? But then mm -hmm. on top of that, I, I think that you're, you're very apt in saying that there's like this almost like this move away, almost like, like almost like this synthetic move away from, you know, the fourth stage and into like this maybe like post Baudrillardian theory where it's, it's almost like the, the, the real, you know, it's like, yes, the simulacra becomes real or, or the simulacra becomes attached from any sort of reality. But then by overcoming that stage, it's almost like this cut of the real, right. Which is in the moment where, for example, Nathan affirms at the end of the show, you know, he's like, I am, I am your daddy, but he's talking to an actor who's playing the kid who he connected or created that attachment with. And it's so he's like, he's directly referring that those emotions to a simulacrum, but the, the cut of the real is still there. Like it's a very much, even for him in a way, um, a very real affect that was generated. And, and then vice versa, it, you know, it, it reflects onto us as the audience. Yeah, I, right. I think that that's like, that's one of the things that's the hardest to like put your finger on in terms of having like a very succinct explanation for what's going on because the, so much of the tension in the show is between what's real and what's unreal. And by unreal, I mean acted what's real and what's acted. But I think that the, what's real in the show is the acting itself, right? The, the, the reality part of the show, what makes it a reality show in not only your language cute, but also in the language of like a lot of people writing and thinking and talking about it, is that it's about the reality of what happens when you pretend. Mm -hmm. Which, as I mean, I had never thought about it that way, but you're totally right, cute, that like uh, core, the guy in the first episode, he was acting for 10 years. He was acting right. without a degree. He was acting as if he had a master's degree. He's not an actor. He's a normal, quote unquote, real person. And the, the tension of that first episode is telling the truth about a lie, but the lie is just acting. But he's also, you know, not to be too meta about this. And I think that that's also like the, the difficulty of talking about the show is you're like, oh, it's so meta. It's like acting about actors. But actually what happens in that first episode is in order to tell the truth, to stop acting, he actually needs the support of actors, which right. is fascinating 
contradiction. And he also needs to be able to do something that he is in the group accepted for that is true about him, which is being really good at trivia. You know, like he still needs to be good at trivia because he has to tether himself. Right. This one reality of himself in this group. And I just think that like, in terms of like talking about as a reality show, that to me, like what you guys are talking about is the most immediately similar to me about like the Real Housewives, right? Or like most reality shows, right? It's like, it's a lot less distilled than in the rehearsal, but people's general complaint about reality TV is that it's not real or that it's scripted. Mm -hmm. And it is hard to sometimes believe that as you're watching the Real Housewives of Orange County talk, that they are real people and that they believe these things. And it's interesting sort of like the, what happens, you know, sort of, I mean, I don't want to like, I don't want to, I feel like this conversation could go very many different ways. I don't want to like veer off too soon, but I, I feel like the role of the camera or the role of setting it up as a TV show, because that's the other thing in, in the rehearsal is they're constantly, they are sort of, it's almost like, I think Nathan Fielder probably heard the crit- criticisms of Nathan for you where the viewer was very unsure if the participants knew it was a TV show or knew what kind of a TV show it was. And in this show, after the first episode, you know, as it goes on, it, it gets very, it gets very, he's, he even has it. He even shows people signing releases, right? Like he, he shows you that the people involved know that they're being filmed. And he, even when he embodies the actor's body in his class and is like, cameras are watching me, HBO cameras. I am an actor. If I'm an actor and I see that camera, I'm going to change my whole kind of persona. And I feel like that's really like, it's sort of like, like Nomi Fry wrote about in her like piece about it, that like, it's about like, people will do, people are willing to do anything on camera. And, you know, it's like when you're being watched, you're kind of willing to do anything. And, you know, I don't, doesn't have to go farther than this, but for me, like I was very struck in the first couple episodes by like the same feeling that I got like watching like really bad, weird TLC shows, like my strange addiction, my 300 pound life where you get these like weird it's it's the voyeurism of it right it's like you're watching somebody that's unlike you or that's totally different than you or something but because there's a camera it's like it's like they've legitimized their sort of like condition in some way yeah <laughs> that's, yeah I think that's really true I, I think uh it, it asked like the deep question of uh what is an actor and what I love about the show is, is it, is it answers it in that it's the fielder method, you know, he's like, right. this is what I, I believe an actor is and I'll teach people how to act. And then it takes the extra step of he will be a student of his own idea of what an actor is. And I think in that way, it's, it's, it points to an ironic, like ad infinitum of like an actor can't fully like be described you know what I mean? Like it, it can't be embodied if you have to simultaneously like go through these levels of like teaching, these meta levels of teaching, um, which I think is 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 humorous, but something is like uh, being said about what reality is versus what acting is, even when it comes to uh, putting something on TV, you know? Mm-hmm. 
Well, and that makes me think about uh, cute what you wrote about. So you you called the show not postmodern, but you called it post postmodern, in that it didn't um, it didn't insinuate like a cynicism about the contemporary understanding or inaction of reality, but instead it 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 made you feel a sincerity. You know, it it made you feel empathic. You know, and I, I think that based on what Young just said, I'm really interested in how you're classifying the the show in terms of sincerity. Yeah, you, you do do you know what I mean? Like I'm really yeah. interested in like how this show, which is like so very obviously postmodern, so very obviously meta, I'm wondering how that form translates into the sincerity. Yeah, so it just kind of has to do with like TV as a medium in terms of what it what it shows. For example, um, you know, the easy cop-out, for example, maybe with, uh, and maybe, maybe even Nathan Fielder's own show, for example, Nathan, for you might be a little bit guilty of this. Mm-hmm. Um, which Nathan for you wasn't a reality TV show. Um, it was more like a, you know, like, a, how would I say it? I mean, it was, I would say it was like reality TV adjacent. Um, well, it very much branded itself as like a sketch comedy show, right? Right. It's Sasha Baron Cohen. In the zeitgeist, it was like sketch comedy. Yes, and. It's like Sasha, it's like Borat, yes, and. <laughs> <laughs> and so it kind of um, presents itself in this way where it's like, you know, it, it affirms that postmodern cynicism where it's kind of like, oh, uh, kind of look at, look how, um, look how people interact with me, uh, kind of pulling, kind of pulling our pants down and kind of, you know, laughing at creating subjects as things to laugh at, for example, like, look how crazy or absurd people are when they, you know, like you guys mentioned, when they know they're being recorded, for example, and keeping that ambiguity um, away from, from us and a show like Nathan for you kind of leaves us with a sense of cynicism, like, oh man, are people actually this, you know, gullible or um, is this fake? Um, you kind of mostly leave watching Nathan for you like this can't be real. Um, there's no way that people would sign off release forms and be like, right. yeah, I'm okay with how I performed in that or whatever. <laughs> um, and so the rehearsal in a way does like the complete opposite. You know, you guys mentioned they show the release forms, they show a lot of meta aspects. And I actually want to bring this up later on. Um, I want to bring up about like how they edit the show, for example, like how they actually chose what shots to keep in. Um, but it's in a way it's, it's a return to sincerity because it, it affirms the techniques of, television that are prominent in our time, you know, the postmodern, like cynicism, um, uh, you know, just like irony poisoning, things of that nature. Um, it affirms them, but by affirming them and, and instead of leaving you with like this emptiness, this kind of like attitude of like, yeah, everything sucks or, you know, everything on TV is a lie or you shouldn't believe this it does the complete opposite. Like, like I mentioned in the piece, I, I left a lot of the episodes with like a sense of like hope or a sense of like actual feeling or emotion, um, which is really rare to watch something on TV and, and not feel like a sense of irony or cynicism, but like completely almost feeling like um, devoid of any emotion or like just straight up hating the show. Um, I feel like that's a really common sentiment, especially with, you know, a lot of like the big streaming services, the way that the content that they actually try to churn out, like Rick and Morty, for example, that show doesn't, 
you know, and I'm not trying to bash anybody that watches like Rick and Morty or anything like that, but the show doesn't really try to advocate for a sense of sincerity or value or meaning. It, it really does play into the whole nihilism, cynicism, like just watch TV and kind of zone out, mind your numb, oh, sorry, numb your mind. <laughs> um, yeah, like the, the rehearsal does the complete opposite. It, it does bring you into a sense of sincerity. And like I mentioned in the piece, it, it, it's a true... I, I feel like the, the fielder method in a way, it's, it's a true body of ethics, like the conditions for by which if you were living in a postmodern time, how would you act sincere? And it's just everyday life living under modernity. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's, and I, right. And I think that that's like part of the realness of the show. I think that like what I'm very interested in, in reality television is that when like when people are told that they're being watched, they actually act realer, you know, or it's like they'll they'll act as they'll act for like an hour or two. But then at a certain point, it's not that you forget the cameras there, but it's that the camera becomes part of the reality. And then you kind of start to realize, cheesy as it sounds, that it's like that's kind of what we're doing. We're always being watched. Life is a social game. And when you watch reality television, it's just kind of like an extrapolation or an extension of an experience of the self, but it's romanticized because it's narrativized. So I think that one of the big triumphs of the rehearsal is to look at the everyman, is to look at a class or a type of person, which is not the person who necessarily watches the show. And to say they yeah. choose the narrative. This is the narrative of their life. And I and, and I, I don't know. I think that like it's very hard to describe because I think it's also very difficult. And I think that uh, the that Stephen uh, Phillips Horst, uh, the guy who hosts Celebrity Book Club, he said something where it's like it's people don't like the rehearsal because they don't understand that there's like a non-media class <laughs> you know what I mean yeah. like, no I think that was so true yeah well do you want to keep I like forget the exact quote but like, he basically just- here I have it right here he says people who think Nathan Fielder is exploitative are telling on themselves they have such a condescending pitiful view towards normal slash non-media trained people they're uncomfortable seeing that those people merely exist and that to me really rang so true but I think what people's issue with uh, the rehearsal is that they seem to feel like Nathan or the production is telling these people's story somehow outside of what the story actually is or or it's a or it's like too true of a representation that it feels offensive or feels embarrassing for the yeah. person I mean I also think the rehearsal and maybe this cute maybe you have some ideas but you're talking about like editing you know like maybe the rehearsal is like editing it obviously he's still a funny person. It's still a, he still enjoys the comedy of like really like benign daily like routine and the way that people like create myths for themselves and how caught up we are in ourselves. Right. That's, that is funny. Right. Like after the end, like that is funny and it's upsetting. And like, I think like 
Real Housewife does the same thing. Like it is funny to watch these women like develop these crazy self ideas of themselves, these self mythologies. And it is also then you do watch for long enough and you start to feel empathy. You start to feel pain for them. You start to see this real kind of sadness in their life or something like that. And I, I don't know. I just think that that to me feels similar. Yeah. Um, actually just have a really quick comment to make about that because, um, yeah, I mean, you get it right in the first episode when he, you know, after the whole bar thing, um, he does like a, he does like a, it's kind of like a, this juxtaposition where he tells core that, um, you know, he helped him cheat, but then it turns out it's not him, you know, it's, it's like, know. A, he does like a rehearsal thing or whatever. Um, and, you know, he confesses to, to core two or whatever, but he doesn't actually tell core one the truth. And it's like, in a way he's, he's, he's doing that. He's, you know, it's, it's kind of like the, you know, what, what Nathan is subverting in the show um, is this idea that, you know, it's kind of like the, the controversy around it kind of doesn't really make sense because, you know, like you mentioned, people are like, or oh, is he exploiting people? Is the joke on them? Is he going to like subjectivizing them in a negative light? And it's like, no, like, I don't think you're understanding what the point of the show is in a way, because it's like, yes, he's making fun of them, but by making fun of not them as subjects, by making fun of contemporary life as a whole, like the way that we, in a way, fabricate these stories, these narratives kind of create auto fiction, not like in a, like in a medium, but auto fiction in our real lives and our personal lives that we live every day, he is criticizing, he's critiquing the fact that we, in a way, we do, we do think about our lives in this micro narrative. We do structure our life in this way. We, we even rehearse scenarios in our, in our minds, how we're going to talk to people. Like, for example, earlier today, you know, I was thinking, what am I going to say in the podcast? Like, you know, you you replay these, these scenarios in your head and it's like, um, yeah, he's, he's subverting that and saying like, you do it too. Like, it's not just the show itself. Maybe the show is making kind of constructing the conditions of possibility for us to be able to view it as a show, but no, it's very much real life. That's, that's, you know, it's kind of like, that's kind of why it's like an amalgus title to call it reality TV, but it's like, it's reality, like in quotes, you know? Right. I think that's, that's like the real devilishness of Nathan Fielder. That, that makes him really, really funny to me and always has. Um, Cause he, he does bring up like this, this, this uh, platonic ethical, you know, idea that's at the foundation of all art and all simulation and all simulacra of all sorts of, is it right or is it wrong? You know, Plato said in the Republic, you know, that art, you know, poetry basically should, should either be highly regulated or banned, you know, like the idea of art, and simulation and, and uh, lying in and of itself are deeply tied. And the idea of the devil and art and lying are deeply tied together. Mm-hmm. And what I think about Nathan Fielder that's really interesting is uh, he, he questions both uh, like the viewer's idea of, uh, you know, what's right and wrong about like simulating or like lying to another person on many levels, but the real kind of like devilishness comes in being like the whole show is centered around like consent in, in that, like, yeah, I would say that too. people to join, like it's all, if you ever notice all Nathan Fielder shows all the way back to like 22 minutes is like 
he like just sources things through like Craigslist or things. Where it's like the people who are in the show are always people who like wanted deeply to be in that. Yeah, they voted themselves in. Right. They were like, I want to do this. It wasn't any like going up to someone and being like, can you do this? It's like, do agree with you that it is consent is baked into it. And I think that people probably feel uncomfortable because they can't believe people would give their consent to do those things. But I think anybody who's been on Craigslist personal ads, you know, it's like a whole, there's so many art projects about Craigslist personal ads, right? Right. I think, I think he, I think the thing about Nathan Fielder though, is he also offers a sense of redemption in which these people are brought up. And I, what I really like about like the one that he truly did, the guy who's lying about his grad school apps is that in rehearsing it, they go through this guy's own basic personal hell through the simulation yeah. of being like you're a you're an asshole like oh, no that part's the hardest to watch right but it's like he needed to go through that you know to realize like you know that what he's doing is something that's important which is just like telling the truth in an act of redemption you know an act of like confession and, yeah. and so nathan in his own way is really interesting because at the beginning of the show it, it kind of starts with him lying to him of being like I couldn't tell him that I, that I kind of like, he genuinely thought, I think that it would kind of ruin that guy's life. And I think it would too, to know that he cheated, you know? Yeah. But at the end of the show, it kind of ends with him being, being like, interestingly, like, I'm not your mom, I'm your dad kind of breaking his own simulation, (laughs) which I kind of think is, is, is is kind of a great little like uh, roundabout, you know? Well, that's the thing about the show too. It's so funny. Yeah, it is hilarious. It is so funny. And I know that a lot of people, you know, in episode four was like, that was like the big episode where people were like, oh my God, it's like, it's so fucked up. Or it's like, it's so meta. That's like the show when it goes from like, or the episode when it goes from the 15 year old back to the six year old. I thought it was hilarious Mm -hmm. that the 15 year old Timothy Chalamet wannabe like duck into the slide, out came the six-year-old. And then you saw the 15-year-old go back out. I thought that was fucking hilarious. And also like when he is like, when the 15-year-old is ODing, there's, yeah. you guys pick up that there's like a used condom on the chair. <laughs> I can send you the screenshot, but it's like, it's so funny because it's so like macabre or, okay. you know what I mean? That it's like, he's ODing and there's like the fake vomit on his chin but like Nathan is crying and there's like a like because it's not like obviously there's not like ejaculate or ejaculation or whatever in the condom but it's like obviously a condom that either the kid or the production is like gotten out of the wrapper and like pulled yeah. out to make yeah, it right used yeah. and it's like very much so in the center of the thing and I was just like dying laughing and how Angela dude angela mother is just like oh like what's what's going on like is everything okay like what's what's <laughs> happening and nathan is just like so i don't know there, well, there's so much like funniness that goes on in that show just out of like the the emotions not being in sync or were yeah. you gonna say Emma? oh i was just gonna say that uh i was like very curious but like angela as a participant or an actor like she was really um she was amazing because she you couldn't really tell if like she like what her exact sort of 
you know, level of participation was. But I also, I think this might be getting away from what you're saying, but I also think she was amazing because she couldn't really do the rehearsal. She couldn't do it. Like she kind of refused it and hated it and hated him. And that was funny, but it also was like very uh, sort of important to have somebody that wasn't really participating. And like the cutaway is to her, like <laughs> before the overdose where she's like being like, bah, 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 like listening. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Cause she's just like genuinely like chilling rehearsing parts of your life or having ideas that you have to be prepared for certain parts of your life you know I think like obviously the show like became weirdly about like the journey to parenthood and like the journey towards fatherhood and if that's something that he's ready for or or maybe essentially he wants is he ready for it does he want it and I think that that was kind of interesting because that I feel like is a very it's a very basic like societal sort of pressure that like people in their late in their 30s to 40s feel so it's like that's like a very grounding sort of rehearsal to be in in a way but it still feels very emotional and personal like I think everyone probably goes through their own experience of that but that in terms of things in life that you want to rehearse that's a very obvious one like everyone would love to be able to like take their problematic teenager like there was something kind of poignant in that right it's like his son almost dies of an overdose fake. And then he says like, okay, I actually, I'm putting the pause on this. Like, let's go back. I think I could redo this better. Right. Like that's like a very poignant sort of idea about like life. And yeah, he's like, I, I fucked up too much. I fucked, like, I fucked up, up too much. bad. And which I'm sure plenty of parents feel, you know, and yeah. like they can't actually turn back the clock. That, that time part of it was really weird. <laughs> Well, it's yeah. also interesting to me that it's like the rehearsal ends and like that Game of Thrones part, what's it called? House of the Dragon or whatever. Yeah. That starts because people are like, oh, like that's a fantasy show. And I saw this funny tweet being like people like the producers say that they wanted to mimic the misogyny in the era of Game of Thrones, but like it's a totally made up era. Like, right. you know what I mean? Like, what are you mimicking? Like, right. you're it's a complete fantasy. But I, but I feel like in so many, in like in a very real way, like uh, the rehearsal is much more of a fantasy show than Game of Thrones could could ever be, could ever like, uh, yeah, could ever become. Yeah, I think I think what's interesting about uh, the rehearsal um like psychoanalytically if you um know that like uh, uh nathan fielder was married for about three years from like 2011 to 2014 to like an elementary school teacher and so he has like this failed marriage library. or librarian librarian anyway just had this had this failed marriage um in his life and uh now that he's older it kind of brings like a different poignancy to like that this is kind of like him realizing that this is like about himself and his own needs deeply in a simulation that helps him uh, sort of maybe come to terms with what he wants in life on like a deep level, which I, I think is, is deeply like um, for me is like empathetic. I, I just like, you know, think it's nice to like have, have somebody be honest about like, like that it is about them and that they're, wanting these kind of universal things which kind of makes it empathetic to me yeah i was gonna mention that it's almost like a critique but also an affirmation of like nietzsche's like amorphati 
for everyone, including myself, I'll just be honest. What what what's a morpha tea? What's a, do you want to describe what Nietzsche's uh, a morpha tea yeah. is? So it's just that notion of um, he has like this. I forgot. I think it's in the Gay Science where he writes about um, like this demon, uh, you know, appearing before you and stating that you know, imagine that for the rest, you know, imagine that for eternity or the whatever. eternal return. Yeah, the eternal recurrence. Um, it's just that your life just keeps playing infinitely and that it will play out in the same way and it will always have played out that way. Um, and it's like, would you affirm it as something divine or would you disgrace it, disgrace it as, you know, something horrific? And so, um, you know, Deleuze kind of does have a play, a, a play on that. Uh, he kind of has a more metaphysical stance on that position, but it can definitely be applicable in the sense that you know, it's that return of difference in itself that does, um, you know, change our lives or brings a potential out, potentiality for us to, to bring change in our lives. Like, you know, there's a cycle of repetition. For example, the, the one where he's like replaying the argument that he had with Angela to the point that she left the show. Um, and so, and then the, the other one that I have in reference is the, you know, it's constant repetition of episode one where he just has core replay the same parts. And then, you know, there's parts where it has a good ending and then there's parts where it has a bad ending, but it's almost like a critique of, um, you know, it's an affirmation of a more fatigue because, you know, it's like this constant replay of a particular scenario in your life. And for Nathan, he couldn't escape the fact that he fucked up with Angela. You know, essentially she left the show. She couldn't handle the rehearsal. But in a weird way, it's also like an affirmation because um, it's not until almost like either Core or Nathan affirm that, you know, this is their life. And at the end of the day, you can't rehearse enough to kind of like, you know, to actually take an action or like live that particular moment. Um, and that particular moment, that's like, you know, that moment, like, you know, the, like, the, the loses, uh, you know, third synthesis, it's this cut, you know, it's this cut from, from, um, you know, habituation, for example, and it's this, it's, it's like bringing about a difference in itself. And so I feel like, in a way, the show, like you mentioned, Young, it's, it is kind of like this therapy, it's, it's therapeutic in the sense that it, it helps him like move forward or like break away from from uh you know the repetition or the cycle of repetition of like uh amorpha tea oh so the amorpha tea is like the reaction to the eternal recurrence yeah it's a, it's the ethical almost like kernel of what the eternal recurrence oh, okay. asks you for sure for sure when it's saying you're you have to live your life eternally would you want to live that life eternally or is that so going it's like to be the affect hell? it's is like the it's like the effect okay for sure amor fati says live your life ethically so that you're the one who says this is you know either for me the life i would live infinitely or you know like cute like rightly says like make it sacred where it's like it's a life that should be lived infinitely on that sort of um note there's a very strong presence of religion and spirituality sort of, I think spirituality sort of baked into a lot of what he's sort of exploring, but there's a very explicit uh, expression about religion uh, and, and especially like Judaism in sort of conflict with Christianity. And uh, 
besides that being like something that like I guess probably like there's probably some statistics that like X amount of Americans, you know, deal with discussions about religion when having a baby or X amount of Americans don't agree on religion. Right. I think that um, I was just very struck by that. I, I, that I really wasn't expecting that. And I, um, it made a lot of sense, but I, I just want to hear what you guys thought about that. Yeah. I I think uh, it's important to point out like, uh like uh, well first of all i i really liked that part of the show and i really liked nathan's response to it and and it and added to that psychoanalytic quality where his parents are brought in and they're like you're repeating your old relationships like re- mentioning kind of i think that the marriage that he had last time you know uh which is very interesting and like kind of breaking that fourth wall where like he is trying to get something right that maybe he has also in his real life gotten wrong you know, um, which is so interesting. And that feeds into this conversation where he doesn't really want to make her uh, feel bad. And I, the, one of my favorite parts of the show is just when he's telling the kid, he's just like, no, you want to be Christian. Like, you're not going to go to hell. I'm going to go to hell. I'm Jewish. And if you're Christian, you don't have to go to hell. Like, that's just like such a funny part because at, at its core, though, it's it's real in that it's like the the kind of like baseline, like what could have happened you know, for, for a real relationship or like what that child would have learned and for his child. Mm -hmm. I mean, like that, like Judaism is like for him, something that like, uh, is almost to be ashamed of on a certain level. And I think that's all to preface that it comes down to this core that like Angela is kind of, I think getting at, and it's the core of like the deep kind of schism, um, emotionally, and effectively between Christianity and Judaism. And that's been debated for a long time. And that um, like the idea of Christ being killed by the Jews is this question and that he's kind of killed simultaneously by the Roman authorities, but also condemned by the Pharisees who are just kind of just like the religious elite who kind of like happened to be, um, you know, like nominally Jewish at the time, you know? And so it's kind of brought up as this um, deep um, kernel of both anti-Semitism, um, blatantly stated as like, um, I've heard in my life people being like, well, the Jews killed Jesus, you know? And it's like, well, that's, that's pretty loaded, you know? Like people say that like pretty openly in America, especially as like a biblical interpretation that people don't quite, I don't think, see in their daily life that people do believe in, in something so, so core that they would not raise a child to even be open to Judy, Judaism, looking at it this way. And I think that's like what this kind of reveals to like what Phoebe's kind of uh, getting at where it's like people who don't like Nathan don't like that he's kind of getting at what like people in normal America kind of understand, you know, and or believe, right? Which is like this, some, this these like religious beliefs that are more normal in most of the country and are like completely abnormal to people who live, you know, in a, in a major city on a coastline, you know? But that was also not, sorry to cut anyone off, but I think that that for me was one of the funniest and most telling parts of the show, right? When Nate, like, right. So his big breakup with Angela is because of the Judaism Christianity schism, right? 
classic, we can relate Judaism, Christianity. That's a normal thing to disagree on. So she leaves. But then in that episode, it's episode five, the hero of that episode becomes the like the 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 Jewish uh, tutor, right? Who is this like really sweet older woman? Like, you know, I'm I'm a Jew. I had like so many women in my life like that with the like vague Hebrew accent, blah, blah, blah. She's such a hero. She like she gets Nathan, she gets children. But then at the end of the episode, in her like is really accent. She's like, so you need to tell, I'm not even going to do it, but she was like, you need to tell people <laughs> that like Israel is like, is legitimate. Like you need to tell people that like Israel uh, has all of these like medical, what does she say? Like all the, she, she just, like she's medical advancement. Very, she's saying like yeah. Israel's been at the forefront of like modern medicine. She's like Israel is like a state. Israel is legitimate and fuck all those Palestinians. Like the light or something. The light of the world. Or exactly. And I think that that was like that to me was really the crux of the show because it's just like you make believe you have this fantasy of who a hero is. Mm. But at the end of the day, they're just mm-hmm. like a normal person and normal people just have like really fucked up political opinions that like, uh, you know, are very fucked up to to perhaps you and me, but aren't to other people. Some people don't even understand why that joke would be funny. Some people don't understand why she was a hero in the first place. But I think that like the the figure of that like Hebrew school teacher really, really plays into the idea that people are more than one dimensional and someone begins a hero and ends up an enemy, but actually people are just people. And what I mean by that is that like the majority of, 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 of the individuals you encounter are just individually very much so fucked up and what, right. you, them, what you take from them is your own narrativization of them in terms of yourself. I love that quality about Nathan Fielder because that redemptive quality is that like um, everybody is kind of worth uh, uh, kind of like the camera, so to speak, or like worth seeing, you know, through the eyes of like the public or like through the eyes of anyone, like, you know, God in a certain way. Like, um, and I I think that's to me uh, important when he goes to, because he could have just been like, oh, Angela is like, because the, the Jewish woman's like, I don't want to work with this anti-Semite, you know? And it's like, that's kind of fair, you know? Like, right, you're, you're, like, you're like, yes, bitch. Right, I know, know exactly. Like, you're, you're like, know, I you're love like, you. You're you speaking know, up. You're so political. Fair. You're so yeah. good. You're such a good like, person. Like, she is being like, you know, but it's like, and at the end of the day, like, I think an important part in the show is when he asks, like, Angela for forgiveness, you know? And, and just, like, appreciates. And she, like, in her own Angela way, it's just like, able to to give him that piece of advice in this like very christian way where she's like there's this christian piece where jesus tells you you know you shouldn't you shouldn't uh you know think somebody seven times you should think them 70 times you know but in like her angela way she like fucks it up four times you know like, like wait so 70 times. yeah yeah 170 no it's not to say that it's like but even in that it's not like oh, the Jews are stupid and the Catholics are actually full of forgiveness and perfect people. I think that so much of the show is just like, I don't know, is, is, is a, 
this is going to sound so cheesy, but it's a reality show in like the platonic sense where it's a show like just about the intricacies of reality. And well, I think boiling it down to the conflict between Judaism and Catholic, like Christianity is uh, is evidence of like, I, I think once again, he's boiling it down to like a very like sort of basic historical long lasting conflict. Right. And like, how does that get played out, you know, in between people? Cause it's like, there's like these maybe like bigger, larger, like, you know, spiritual questions that are in, in conflict, but how do the people involved sort of, you know, deal with that? And, and I also think like to jump on your cheesy boat, Phoebe, I think like, there's also sort of like, a, I mean, I think like the criticism of the show, like, really does say something about like our culture right now like people are really really uncomfortable seeing that people are multi-dimensional and can be one can be your hero and also be the person that you like really disagree with and like you know it feels very uh it feels very like you know sort of like the recalling of like Hillary Clinton calling like Trump voters deplorables right it's like it, it it feels like it's getting back to sort of like, I don't know, I don't really want to like linger on that, but it, it does feel like that it, it is sort of like people's criticism. I think any kind of really good piece of media or artwork reveals more about itself by like people's reaction to it. And I think like this is one of those shows that definitely did that. Yeah, you almost have to kind of approach the show from like an, um, what is it called? Like an ap- uh, apathetic, apathetic um this position kind of like saying you know it's kind of like that whole talking about like the one or talking about like you know like a platonic version of reality tv right so it's like you can always attribute what it's not but you can't really give it affirmative like this is what reality tv is or this is an example of what reality tv should be like or something like that um because i I think it's like for example like i'm going to bring up the the you know how like the show was edited or how it was cut for example Um, you know, the, the things that they chose to keep in, for example, like you guys mentioned, you know, <laughs> you know, she went from being someone that you rooted for, uh, in reference to the, um, uh, what was it, the, the Jewish instructor, instructor, uh, the teacher, um, to someone that, you know, started going into a bit of like Zionist adjacent comments, you know? not to interrupt you like that was the joke is that she's like she's like a blatant zionist continue and so she you know (laughs) she brings up these comments that you know are you know depending on who what side of the political spectrum you would be like that's deplorable that's horrific um and so, you know, it's like the, the way that they chose to keep that like towards at the end, right? To kind of like destroy her arc in a way, uh, to kind of like subvert her as a character. Or even you mentioned, you guys mentioned earlier how, you know, the 15 or 16 year old went down through the slide and then out came the six year old. And so it's kind of like this, it was this very like Willy Wonka-esque cut. Um, Cause you know, like it's almost like this wonder dream type of like, uh, you know, I mean, just the kids aging in general rapidly is kind of uh, like a, a fantastic show. Phoebe, you mentioned how it's like this show is more um, fantasy than even Game of Thrones. And yeah, it's, it's absolutely. Um, 
and even the way that it's cut up, the way that it presents the stories, the way that it chooses to create certain scenes, like like the way that it's manufactured, um, they fit a whole bar. They did an exact replica of Core's bar, which is super uh, in in light of like you know Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Mm-hmm. But then you know in that last episode when he goes to uh, what's that ga- uh, what's that kid's name Remy? Yeah, Remy. Yeah, he goes to Remy's house. And he talks about how like everything was um, perfectly, you know, placed. But even though it was like, even though it occurred naturally, like this is this is real life. This is raw. Uh, and then they like zoom in. They the battery. focus in on the, the battery. Battery. Yeah. I love that. Um, You're the sink. So- <laughs> <laughs> Dangerously <laughs> near the sink. And you know, it's 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 things like that that really capture. Um, like what's 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 at the crux of the show really? You know, you, you guys mentioned like this this Platonism that's kind of like inert in the show, uh, but in a way, yeah, it's like what is a TV show? There, there is a certain like you could say maybe like a narrative structure that's subverted, but at the end of the day, it's still this this you know this like if you want to boil it down to this little transcendental node, it's it's, it's just the conflict. You know, it's like these patterns of conflict um, and how they're resolved. Yeah. I loved when he talked about how it was expensive to maintain winter. Like, I I, I love when, like, again, like, he reminds you that he's making a show or when the actors playing the extras at the birthday party can't speak because of union rules. (laughs) So everyone's silent and it's, like, so eerie and, like... (laughs) But there's something in that that makes you think about the eeriness of like scripted television or like soap operas, yeah. right? Where, where... There's also something so wholesome in it too. Yeah, where they're just doing their job. They've shown yeah, up. Yeah, they just work it together. Right, they're, ju- they're just like, they understand. But that, because that's also the fantasy of real life. All you want is to know why you're in a place at a certain time. That's all you want. That I struggle with that on the daily. I don't know who I am. I don't know where I am. I don't know what I want. But I think that part of this show is being like, how amazing would it be if you were just an extra miming out a stupid conversation about a birthday cake? Right. That's, it's just like, it's very wholesome to know, to, to be exacting. Yeah. Right? Well, that's the fantasy. I was going to say the eeriest part of the whole show is when he's inhabiting the actor and he looks at the camera and he's like, wait, is this a show? (laughs) And and you have to have like that whole breakdown. And it's like a lot of things want to be like fourth wall and then it breaks down the fourth wall. But like, to me, that was like the one moment I'm like watching a show and being like, I guess this is a show. And I'm, I am starting to question whether like, you know, a real show in and of itself, you know, (laughs) like. And the thing about those episodes that I was really, I guess that's like just the fourth episode, but that, that episode feels like it was a lot longer than it's 30 minutes, but he's training those people to be invisible, right? Like he's training those people to, to fully blend in and to just like do the job. And yeah, that's what, that's what a job is. And then one of the older men in the class He's like, I don't want to work. I don't want to do the fielder method because I don't, I don't want to work. And 
Yeah. I mean, jobs are performance. We, we all know that. Uh, right. And they all choose jobs. I mean, it's interesting to think like, I mean, ostensibly they chose jobs themselves. They all chose very working class jobs. They chose like a mechanic, a butcher, uh, like a, like service work, you know, they, they chose very, it's like the idea of being essential or being like boiled down to like the essential human nature is in a work in like a working class job well it's also just like who are who are who do you interact with in in your life right he was just like go out and by tomorrow like come back dressed like act and acting like the people like your your primary so you know where do you go you go get a acai bowl you go to the mechanic you go to the butcher you go to the weed store, you interact with the security guard at the weed store. You get your dog walked or whatever. It's, you just, you interact with these like normal people. And I think part of the fielder method or whatever is trying to access an interiority of people who are assumed to like not have an interiority. And I think that through that, you kind of understand the, the joy and the horror of um Nathan for you and also the rehearsal one thing one thing I wanted to say that's really interesting which I really liked that you said that like Nathan Fielder came up in that like comedy scene where it was blowing up you know like the the uh like 2012 like that era like he and Peel all that like and he got on Comedy Central and that was like Comedy Central's prime of like shows um but oddly enough the first season of Nathan Fielder, it was going to get like canceled. Mm. And I remember having to write in a letter because I was in like high school at the time. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. Because I was like, this show is great. You know, like, like oh, please keep it on TV. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it was like hard to keep on TV, even though because it was, it, you know, at the time it was kind of like against these, the, the comedy of the time because of it's just like weird, like s- subtlety, you know? Where, where like some people were very turned off by it, I feel like at the time. And, and that's why it's happening again when he gets to a more like mainstream audience with HBO. Yeah. People being like, what? like, this is either me or like, I don't like this because it's revealing something I'm repressing yeah. about myself that I like don't want to see these people as like in on the joke. I feel like he's being mean to them. I mean, what do you make of it being on hbo you know like i don't know like i don't know if there's something actually to be like said about it but like it feels like in a way him making this show on hbo and like using the budget to like recreate a bar create this house expensively keep up winter is also sort of like making a joke on hbo it feels like in the most meta sense he's pranking hbo (laughs) He's, he's always he's always done that too uh, yeah to a certain extent which is funny we were just watching like nathan for you uh and to a large extent like he did that to comedy central as well right like one of my favorite episodes is when he uh goes to like the la burger that claims it's the best yeah. and first he forces the guy being like okay so this is the best burger then you you should be able to put up a hundred dollars to anybody who claims it's not and then when he's just like people could lie you know 
eventually he takes it on himself and just like comedy central budget just has to pay out like six thousand dollars <laughs> a day <laughs> for just like an over overly done bit um i think it's i love it because i think that at a certain level he's he's like uh the anti-hbo he is yeah you know so it's just funny to see uh what an anti HBO does when it's like, what, what that means to me is that you're just doing like, uh, uh, like just Baroque level budgets. Like he's just doing every budgetary, like he he just doing, instead of paying himself or like, you know, he's just like, we're going to put everything into the show to make it as crazy and, you know, extravagant as you possibly can, which I appreciate. Yeah, it's kind of like that uh, oscillation uh, between like counter or like anti HBO and like affirming HBO, right? Like it's it's post postmodern in that sense because mm. uh, you know only a show like the rehearsal could be created, or o- only a budget like HBO's budget could create something like the rehearsal. Mm. But simultaneously, you know, it does subvert the fact that HBO is a studio by constantly like pointing at it, like, you know, naming it as a big other, like, yeah, obviously like these people are aware that HBO cameras are recording them. So let's see how they act or, um, you know, obviously like keeping a fake winter uh, really expensive, you know, like obviously making a joke out of like being able to flaunt HBO's, you know, um, IP and things, things like that. So yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it affirms yet negates HBO. And they, and they just renewed it for a second season. And HBO's sort of official statement was like, Nathan has sparked such a lively conversation with the rehearsal. Like, <laughs> we can't, you know, we, that we are, you know, we, we see the viewership, you know, like, we know this is making people say something. And that's all, at the end of the day, that's all HBO wants, right? They just want people to be talking about HBO. I don't know. How should we wrap up? What, what does want, anyone want to say to wrap up? <laughs> I feel like Q should say something in your beautiful red-lit David Lynch <laughs> room. Um, well, I think you guys all brought up like super good points, things that I didn't even think about like in, in my particular small little. But I'm just really interested to see obviously where season two is going because yeah. um, like how do you talk? I mean, like I it's one of the best TV shows that I've seen in a long time. And I don't mean that lightly. First of all, I... I mean, I do watch a lot of TV, but it's like I mentioned, it's really hard to find like good TV. And it's almost like falling into that cliche of like, it's HBO. <laughs> but really there, there is, you know, there is a mystique, there is a brand to HBO at the end of the day. And, um, you know, it's, it's kind of like, and maybe, you know, to buy into the fielder method or to buy into like the message of maybe the rehearsal, it's, it's like, yeah, maybe we should affirm more things in our lives, even if they are cheesy or corny um like there's that scene in the show where he's like how do people just play into into these roles how do they just you know fit in or can they can just pretend so effortlessly and it's like yeah maybe you know it's like that's an affirmation maybe we should buy into more to like just accepting an affect for what it is an emotion for what it is and not really try to rationalize it or conceptualize it in a way that it takes away its mysticism thanks again for having us um really love the podcast like we said um i will say to anybody listening to this that hasn't read the uh, cute numina piece um on uh sincerity reality we will link it 
listen to Money Can't Buy a Class, listen to Decode. Um, yes, thank you to Decode for joining us. And yes, we will link Hutnomina's uh, essay in our episode notes, um, which you should definitely take a quick look at. I've, I've recently in my workplace learned about this term. It might be sort of a South African weird thing. Uh, squiz, which means <laughs> to take a quick look. So at work, when we want to take a quick look, take a quick, take a squiz. So take a squiz of the that's essay. Fucked up, Gemma. <laughs> that's, like a, that's like a really fucked up thing to say. It's part of my daily language now. So take a quick squiz. <laughs> um, yeah, thank you guys for joining us. And I am, uh, I'm also very curious about season two. I wonder what Nathan will rehearse. I wonder if he'll continue the journey of fatherhood. Uh, maybe he'll try to be in an actual relationship. I don't know. I don't know. Well, I heard that he has a girlfriend right now, and I've heard that she's, like, pretty unremarkable. Okay, well, here's the thing. I didn't know if I should say this earlier because I didn't want to, like, change the tenor of the conversation. But I do know somebody who knows his ex, and apparently they broke up because he wanted to have a kid and she didn't. (gasps) <gasps> oh that makes so much sense see i see oh my god <laughs> i was gonna i was gonna i was gonna speculate on that Maybe yeah so a family <laughs> i mean i don't know how you know that it's very hearsay but i do know that through the la grapevine i do know that Gemma, Gemma comes through once again with the with the best gossip. That's a spicy man. You should have led with that. I know. <laughs> I didn't want to lead with it though because it, it would have changed the whole thing. Oh, also, it was like is it ethical to share? I don't know. You know, it makes sense. It's he's he's a good. Da- I mean, fatherhood. What a performance. <laughs> yeah. You know, like um, it's so funny to be like in my mid to late twenties and have certain friends and family members be like, you're so young and other friends and family members be like, when are you going to get married and, and have a kid? Right. And I feel like all of us, like all four of us recording right now are in a similar position um, where it's, I mean, yeah being young being old having kids getting married um it very much so is an experiment in in how we've been told to lead our lives and yeah you know growing up I thought my parents were adults and now I realize they were just like 26 year olds plus 20 years it's very true but the human whatever. condition as told by nathan fielder i know <laughs> i know well thank you both again for joining us thank you decode listen where can we listen to you yeah anywhere wait anywhere you gotta plug your one of you needs to plug the pod plug the pod one of you right now we're located <laughs> yeah, so you can find us pretty much in every major um distributor we're on spotify uh soundcloud and itunes or what is it now apple podcasts apple, apple, apple music podcasts, right? apple apple music. Podcast. yeah, yeah. so um, yes listen to decode wherever you get your podcasts exactly wherever. all righty well thank and you follow so young 